Pastor Xavier Reese verifies God's presence in our everyday lives. You go through the Psalms, you're going to find every circumstance of life. Joy, peaceful fellowship, testing, trials, pain, misery, sickness, death. To learn how to express our heart to God. Openness, genuineness, total dependency. He's always there. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Is there one place you can turn to for dealing with depression and despair, why God allows suffering, or about His forgiveness, mercy, and the reconciliation of the world? Well, coming up in an introduction to a new Simple Truths verse-by-verse series, Pastor Xavier demonstrates just how the book of Psalms represents an awareness of God's presence in people's everyday lives. Let's listen. You might say that the Psalms are the record and cry of the Psalm book of God's people in expression of their spiritual life throughout the centuries. Now, the book of Psalms, the Hebrew name, as I said, is, means praise. And in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew canons, and and the title there is the Psalter. We get our English word psalms, like we have here in the book of Psalms, from the Greek meaning songs sung to the accompaniment of string instruments. And so at times you will read a psalm and it will have an inscription on top, in a funny word, and it will mean to a string instrument or to a harp or to a, a lyre. And so... It is the songbook of Israel. Now, there are various categories of psalms. First, you have psalms of wisdom or psalms of moral conduct, such as Psalm 1, where you see the righteous man contrasted with the ungodly man. And you see this uh, much throughout the psalms, where we declare our wisdom by our lives, by obeying God's counsel, His direction. In contrast to the ungodly, to the wicked, who really goes his own way. There seems to be a way that's right with a man, and the way is a way of destruction, the psalm says. And Psalm 1 is a perfect example of these uh, wisdom psalms and psalms of moral conduct. There are also royal or messianic psalms, which deal with the promise of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Psalm 2 is a perfect example of that. He says, why do the nations rage and the people not or plot a vain thing? The king of the earth sets themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for an inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O king. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry. And you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. 
Blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. It's a messianic psalm, but in its primary application, it's dealing with the King David. But its secondary application, it's dealing with the Messiah to come. So often the psalms that are messianic will have a twofold fulfillment. The personal, present application, historical background, plus a futuristic fulfillment of the Messiah. We have prophecies like that in Isaiah. We have prophecies like that in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, pertaining to Jesus Christ, short-term, long-term wise. And so you have Psalm 22, where Jesus Christ cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And there are many others. The third category is songs of lament, which deal with individual as well as national lamentation. When there is mourning because of sin or consequences or tragedy, Psalm 7 is an example. We won't read it all, but let's read the inscription and then see how it follows. A meditation of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me. Lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces, while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me, or have plundered my enemies without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. And so it speaks of lamentation. He's speaking about Cush. Uh, Saul was from the um, family of Cush. And so we see that um, the meditation of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, could very well be in accord with this at this time. At times we don't have individual lamentation, but we have national lamentation, where the entire nation cries out to God because of sin that has entered the nation and severe consequences have overtaken the nation, be it in captivity or destruction. We'll get to some of those. There are penitential psalms, such as Psalm 32, a beautiful psalm, where David expresses his contriteness of heart, his repentance regarding sin. He says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silent, my bones grew old, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. Selah means pause or amen. We're not sure. And so here David confesses a sin, but he describes uh, the blessedness of the man who confesses sin and receives forgiveness. But he goes on to speak of how he felt physically, emotionally, and spiritually as he was living in that sin unconfessed. Interesting that though we have the capacity and potential still to sin, we cannot be in a state of peace when we have sin in our lives because we know too much. The Holy Spirit of God lives in us and He brings conviction and unrest. And there is not joy, there is not peace, but uneasiness. And this psalm surely describes that. 
Psalm 51 is another example. David there speaks of his sin after he had gone into Bathsheba and killed Uriah. And so the inscription here says to the chief musician, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now, it could be that to the chief musician is a subscription of Psalm 50 and the rest a superscription of Psalm 51. Or they both go along together. Possibility. But there he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Penitential Psalms. A time when you confront your sin. A time when you and I come and say, Lord, cleanse me. I want to get back in fellowship with you. I want to be right. I want to hear your voice. Because sin is an obstacle to my life. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my life, God will not hear me. I can pray all I want. But if there is sin in my life, unconfessed sin, willful sin, then God does not hear me. I'm out of fellowship. I has not seen, ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. God's hand is not short that He cannot save. Neither is His ear heavy that He cannot hear. But your sins have separated you from God, Isaiah 59 says. Achan is a classic example in the book of Joshua. God said he entered the promised land. He just took them across Jordan, parted the Jordan in flood season, had the nerve to circumcise them on their enemy's side where they could easily be overcome. And he showed them that they would not do anything. He gave them Jericho. The walls fell down. But Achan took of the accursed thing. They went on to Ai. In their self-confidence, they were defeated and because of sin in the camp. When they came back crying unto God, God says, Get off your face, Joshua. What are you doing there? There's sin in the camp, man. God Achan. They went through the tribes. Achan came up. He says, Give glory to God and confess your sin. When you confess your sin and I confess my sin, we give and bring glory to God. And Achan was stoned to death. And the sin was put away. And Israel was able to defeat her enemies. You want to leave, live defeated? Live in sin. Live out of fellowship with God. There are psalms of adoration, worship and praise, thanksgiving, such as Psalm 8, Psalm 150. There are liturgical psalms, such as Psalm 15. You can look at that. Imprecatory psalms. Big word. It means that you pray in such a way that God would break your enemy's teeth in their mouth. That's what David prayed. Now many people say that we're not supposed to pray like that in the New Testament. And though Jesus said you shall bless your enemy and love those who hate you, it's true. I don't think that's scriptural when they say we're not supposed to pray like that. Because Paul prayed in the New Testament, Lord... 
Reward him according to his deed. I don't know what you call that, but I call that impregatory. <laughs> he was saying, Lord, let him have it. Now, whenever we read imprecatory psalms or imprecatory statements, it is out of the right motive. It is because the person is wicked in rebelling against God, rejecting God's word, and fighting against God's people. And we are in reality turning them over to God for judgment and for God to deal with them. Paul the Apostle even says regarding the young man that was sleeping with his stepmother at Corinth, turn that man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, but that his spirit may be saved. I call that imprecatory. And so often we hear statements and they sound so good, but we don't run them through the theological brain. I think that we can pray like that at times as New Testament saints. But it's never motivated for my own vengeance. That we must understand. But it's for God's righteousness. There's the criteria. There are psalms of degree. These psalms are found in Psalm 120 to 134, 15 of them. There are various beliefs and concepts as to what they relate. The most common of these is that they were sung on the pilgrimage journeys to Jerusalem on the feast days. And you see a progression as they journey on and arriving at Jerusalem and Mount Zion. There's also a group of psalms called the Hallel Psalms, Psalm 146 to Psalm 150. The word Hallel, which means praise. Hallelujah means praise ye Yahweh, praise ye the Lord, Jehovah. That's what Hallelujah means. Hallel and Yah, the name of God. There are also another group of psalms called alphabetic or acrostic psalms, which means that they are written in an alphabetical order by verse and by word in their order. Probably the most common of these is Psalm 119, and it is the longest of the psalms, the longest chapter, if you will, in the Bible. Many of these acrostic psalms were written to instruct the children, and they were memorized. How would you like to memorize Psalm 119? They did. You know, I am amazed of how much we do memorize on the things that are no good for us. And yet when we look to the Word of God and we say, Oh, two verses? And here without even trying, we've memorized a three-minute song that has a nice beat. And we haven't even tried. What can we do if we try? Psalm 119 has 176 verses. The children learn their alphabet through memorizing Psalm 119. What does it speak about? One theme, the Word of God. The importance, the value, the richness, the exaltation, the preciousness, the power of the Word of God. It's a tremendous psalm. There are nine in total. Psalm 9, Psalm 10, Psalm 25, 34, 37, 111, 112, 119, 145. 
Remember one thing about Hebrew poetry, that Hebrew poetry does not focus upon rhyme and rhythm of sound as our English poetry does. But it centers on rhyme and rhythm of parallelism building upon thought by repetition, by variation, or by contrast. And so there are a lot of different types that we will find within the Psalms. I'm not going to get into the technical language and uh, special hermeneutics, but let me just give you some of the types that we'll find in here. They're called synonymous, and they are this. The second line repeats the first in slightly different words. An example of that is Psalm 1, verse 2. Then you have antithetic, which means the second line shows a sharp contrast to the first. Psalm 1, verse one says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Listen to verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. And so it repeats the same, but slightly in different words. That's synonymous. Then you have antithetic. You find that in Psalm 1, verse 6. The second line shows a sharp contrast to the first. He says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Sharp contrast. Then you have synthetic. You find that in Psalm 7, verse 1. The second line completes the first by supplementing the original thought. Listen carefully. O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me. You see how it complements, supplements it? There are three lesser types that help to add the richness to the variety of Hebrew expression. The first one is introverted. You find this in Psalm 30, verse 8 through 10. In the introverted, the second line is parallel to the third and the first to the fourth. So alternately. So let me read verses 8 through 10. I cry out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood? When I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. And so you see Psalm 8 there with verse 8 with verse 10. And you see the contrast, every other line there, the parallel thought. There is what is called climactic. You find that in Psalm 29, verse 1 and 2. The second line completes the first by bringing the thought to a climax. And so there's a progression. Verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 29. He says, Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Watch verse 2. Give unto the Lord the glory due to His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. There is a climax. It ascends upward. There's what's called emblematic. You find that in Psalm 1 again, verse 4. And here the second line continues the thought of the first by raising it to a higher realm or using a simile. A simile is like a lion. As a lamb. Those are two words that are usually introduced as simile. Look at verse 4. The ungodly are not so, but are like the shaft which the wind drives away. 
And so these are the basic major types of parallelism in Hebrew poetry. You see, one of the, the marvels of the wisdom of God is that if the Bible would have been written in any other language, when there would have been the translation of the poetry, the interpretation would have lost the meaning because it would have been based upon sound. But when you have Hebrew poetry, it is not based on sound but upon parallelism and thought. And therefore, when you have the interpretation or translation, nothing is lost. There's God's wisdom on choosing the Hebrew language as well as the Greek. And so we see as we look, we see the wisdom of God in so many different ways. Let me finish up by giving you some purposes of the book of Psalms. I'm sure you can add to them, but these are just, I think, key. First, to communicate a heartfelt response to God of joy, sorrow, and trials of life. To learn how to express our heart to God. Openness. Genuineness. Secondly, to relate to every experience and depend totally on God. You go through the Psalms, you're going to find every circumstance of life. Joy, peaceful fellowship, testing, trials, pain, misery, sickness, death, total dependency. Thirdly, to remind God's people of His mercies, long-suffering, loving-kindness, and forgiveness. He's always there. He never turns His back on us. Fourth, to yearn the soon return of the Messiah. The Psalms are full of promises of the Messiah's soon return. Psalm 2 is classic. They will be gathered in the valley of Megiddo and he will laugh at them. He will have them in derision. He will wipe them out. Fifth, to serve as the songbook of the people of God. Interesting that out of 360 quotations and allusions of the Old Testament in the New Testament, nearly one-third, about 112, are from the Psalms. And they appear in 23 of the 27 books of the New Testament. The book of Psalms is quoted more than any other book of the Old Testament in the New Testament. It's rich. Turn to Psalm 117, if you will. Psalm 117 is the central chapter of the Bible. Listen to what it says. It's not long. Maybe you'll memorize it. Oh, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Loud Him, all you peoples. For His merciful kindness is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's what the word laud means, praise Him. What a fitting psalm. It's the central chapter of the entire Bible. How interesting that the central point of the Bible is praise to the Lord. The central verse is found in Psalm 118, verse 8. Listen to it. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. How interesting. The central chapter, praise to God. The central verse, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. I don't think it's coincidence. And they're both in the Psalms.
Pastor Xavier Reese, illustrating how the Word of God isn't merely a doctrinal statement to His people, but a message from a Creator who has an interest in everything about them. And you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But you can also request a copy of today's essential study, Introduction to the Psalms, available on CD for just $4. And by the way, this CD will also contain everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. So the title you'll be asking for once again is Introduction to the Psalms, or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. And then join us for more Simple Truths from the Book of Psalms right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 